Ava, yeah. what's the one thing you wish you would have known before you started the gig there? Wow. There's like a million things I wish I would have known. <laughs> um, I would say, um, I think one thing for sure I wish I would have known earlier is just don't ever do an unpaid pilot. Like that's just like, a, a no, no, I guess it's a no brainer, but like for me, I was like, Oh, they use it. Like, you know, um, why? But, why? Um, because if they're not willing to pay for a pilot, they're not, you're not, they're not going to use it. And you're not really solving a need. Um, you need to solve a pain point and you really have to understand what is pain because um, making somebody's life even like 50% better is not going to create um, really encourage anybody to change their behavior, especially when you're talking about B2B. Like my passion is um, econ, but it's like behavioral economics. Why do we make decisions? Why do we change our behavior? And asking someone to implement an entire technology at their organization, especially internships, which hit every single department, that's a big ask. You really need to solve a big problem. So understanding the difference between nice to haves and must haves and yeah. never doing unpaid pilots. Oh my God. And I think you're, you're, you're differentiating and I'd like to differentiate between like product led growth companies that offer free trials and sort of a freemium model. That's something different. Your, yes. your product requires a lot of onboarding, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of implementation potentially. I couldn't agree more. And especially ABBA, and you and I talked about this last year, selling to HR, they, they oftentimes, as you have identified, they have very little budget and they can say no to everything, but they really can't say yes unless it's free. And then when you go to sell them at the end of the trial, how did it work? I don't know. We didn't really use it or I don't really have the budget for it or what have you. Amen to you. No free pilots. I will say the second thing that I wish I had also learned earlier is Ellen Zhang, our head of marketing. She brought on all account-based marketing. So we don't even do any cold outreach. Every single thing we do is very tactical with like a lot of research and like 20 touch points. And we map out the entire account at an org and decide who our sponsor level decision maker is. So I know who to ask um, before I even go out for an account. So I think that would be the second thing I would really wish I knew earlier and encourage anyone who's doing B2B, make sure you have the whole account mapped and everybody is, um, you know, the marketing team and the sales team are working hand in hand to make that happen. Yeah. But what was the learning lesson? What, what would you, what did you, what did you feel previously that brought you to that learning lesson? Oh, well you get to, so we say champion level, sponsor level, decision maker, everything's getting shut down on the champion level and I'm building product to, that serves the champion level and not the sponsor level decision maker. So the whole vision of the company is falling short here. And I'm not taking any of those insights to customer success, any of those insights to product because I haven't mapped out the full account. And so, and I'm not closing any deals. So I think that's, you know, all the pain points I felt and now we're making a lot of changes. Hi, everyone. This is Ava Sadeghi, and you're listening to the Sassholes Podcast. Welcome to Sassholes. With the combined 100 years of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Justin, KG, and myself, Pete, are dedicated to helping sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no-bullshit approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. 
please subscribe to us on our YouTube channel and Apple Podcasts. Today, our guest is Ava Sadehi. Ava is a passionate social entrepreneur and co-founder of Simba, a venture-backed and woman-founded tech startup addressing the future of work. Ava is an economist and researcher focused on remote work and workforce development. Prior to launching Simba, Ava worked at the U.S. Department of State and the Human Rights Bureau and completed a civil rights fellowship with Congressman John Lewis of Atlanta. She's a member of the Forbes HR Council, was recently named Forbes 30 Under 30, and Global Entrepreneur Scholar by the U.S. Department of State. But before we get to Ava, we got some Patreon love to dish out. We'd like to thank our business supporters. With Demand Farms Org Chart, you can transform contact lists to rich visual maps instantly. Empowered with deal-specific Rolodex at your fingertips, you have a focused view on the buying group, their roles, dynamic stances, and relationship owners for effective deal advancement. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man. Hey, Winalytics Masterclass. Your challenge is that most training and enablement is stuck in an old product-driven model. The even bigger challenge is changing the product-driven mindset. Your solution is the Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. Sales and marketing expert Brent Keltner. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say Jamie sent you. Subscribe to our YouTube channel because each subscribe, again, it's like a magic wand. It turns three viewers into 3,000. I've already subscribed to you. It's your turn. And if you have the means, please support us on patreon.com slash sassholes, whether it's just buying us a beer or you using us to help you prepare for a budget meeting. KG. Yes, Pete. Carney. Pete, this is a bad joke. Uh, well, if you ever said there was a good one, I would be surprised. Why do you never see elephant hiding in trees? <laughs> Why? Why? Because they're... Because they're really freaking good at it. Leave us some <laughs> comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Hey, we got a new segment looking. Anybody in Chicago is looking for a software developer manager with 10 years of experience? All this stuff C Pound, MS, SQL, Angular, React, Azure Cloud, ASP.net.net Core. Also, Nodes, Angular Web Development. Email me, Pete, at sassholes.net. I got a good one for you. Uh, hey, KG, you got any shout outs? I do. But gosh, who doesn't want a software development manager with all that experience, including Node.js? I mean, come on. Node.js. Nope. I can't. I'm Arnie, a sales You guy. know what Node.js is? Is right. that JavaScript? I'm sure Ava does. Could of course be she does. Node JavaScript. Maybe that's what it stands for. I've never. Yeah, salespeople. I, I, I don't know. All right, I got a shout out. Uh, Maria Pergolino, she's a badass. She used to be at Marketo. I met her long ago when she was a director there and she's gone on to amazing things. Happy birthday. Uh, that was May 25th for her. Uh, Jasmine Wilson, happy birthday. That was May 21st. Missed one there. And then, uh, congratulate Dre Fay, Andrea. She used to be at ZipRecruiter in the marketing department and customer service department. And now she's all growing up and now she has a new position as the growth operation manager at Up Recruit. Congratulations, Dre. Good job. Carney, looks like you have something in here. Oh, Patrick Williams for his new position as Director of Global Sales Development at Regal Voice. Give him a shout out. Jacob Carp, uh, one year anniversary of people.ai. Way to stick it out, Jacob. And uh, 
Jennifer Wilga, three years at Media Radar. Wilga, what's going on, Wilga? Hey, congratulate Kara Zupkis, three years at Young America's Foundation. Dan Hardy, one year at High Spot. Way to stick it out, buddy. Max Jansen's the big five years at Cision from Off the Street Sales. How do you know Max Jansen's? All I know about him is off of the street to director in five years at a private private equity owned company. That's pretty good. Uh, Ellie Rezor, new position, vice president of sales at Shift Smart. All right, let's get to our main guest, Avasa Dehi. I practiced that all Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> KG, how do you know Ava? Well, I was originally introduced to uh, Simba and Ava through the uh, Amazon Web Services uh, Expert Network. Somehow they considered me part of their expert How network the heck did or what you have get you. In there? I, you know, luck, nepotism, is your, is cronyism. It uh, <laughs> exactly one ninety nine a year to be part of the AWS Expert Network, and I was, uh, and I really liked what Ava was doing with respect to uh, innovating in, in internships. Certainly, it was a pain in our butt and my career uh, in trying to run these programs. It was always, it always sounded great. Let's hire some interns to do some things. And, and then it was just, it didn't like, we just didn't do it, do it well. And so I really liked what, um, what Simba was attempting to do with, uh, with respect to innovating and uh, in the internship uh, area there. But then I noticed that she was also a big deal and, uh, and part of many women in leadership, uh, you know, groups there. And I thought, you know what, let's get her on the sass holes. Cause I would love to uh, uh, have, have her talk about running better sales internship programs or other types of internship programs. So Ava, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks so much, Pete, for practicing my name. You did an excellent yeah. job. <laughs> hey, Ava, I, got, I got a question for you. Simba, what is it? And all I know is of Simba is Lion King. Is that where the name came from? Well, it's a great name uh, and area for it to come from. It has a lot of positive connotations, but we can't afford an attorney to protect us against those, you know, copyright. Um, so really what Simba is, is for symbiotic relationships. And that's what we believe a really great experiences. It's not just the organization gaining value, but also the intern. So that's how we really approach everything uh, from partnership sales, even internally at Simba. I'm pretty interested about your apprenticeship program. How does that work? Because, you know, I did my 15 minutes of research before the uh, show. <laughs> I thought that is pretty cool that you worked with CBS. And I think apprenticeships as we get on here in the future are going to be more valuable as colleges become less valuable. How do you, how do you help companies with their uh, apprenticeship programs? Absolutely. Well, thanks for doing the research. And it's really an exciting time. Not only apprenticeships are scaling, but also internships. Uh, we saw over 22% growth just this year uh, for tech companies. And ultimately, these programs help companies build out train to hire programs. So it's really the most affordable way to invest in building your workforce. And you can see from the data that retaining an apprentice or an intern is so much higher as far as the metrics. And um, it really helps your team be successful in the future, especially for skills that are a little bit more challenging to recruit for. So you can cultivate your own at home. It's got to be great with the onboarding because you guys can help with you know the diversity and all that. 
I mean, CBS, like, what did you do for them? I mean, we, whatever you can share with us, because I think that's, that's, that's pretty interesting that those uh, interactive guys you used you, how, how, how did that start? And how is that currently going? Absolutely. Well, I'll take you back just a little bit on kind of why we started Simba. And it was really around this idea of remote internships. When I was in college, I went to school at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and I aspired to um, being in political science and wanted to get an internship that was kind of based in D.C. And I was I felt pretty stuck. And so uh, really became excited about the idea of accessing opportunities, building out these remote programs. And when we had met um, CBSI Interactive, I call CBS now. Um, they um, were in this critical position where a lot of companies were in 2020. How do we go remote? Do we cancel? What do we do? And so for them, they had never done a remote program, much like many of our customers. So they leveraged our platform to begin to understand how do we build community and do all this onboarding remote. Uh, We started Simba back in 2018. But when we started and started pitching this idea of remote internships and apprenticeships, people were like, no way. It's all about being in person. So a lot shifted. Um, People are now open to trying out new tools, open to innovating. And companies are actually investing more dollars because compounded with remote work, you have the great resignation. So companies are now thinking, how do we invest in talent today um, and beat out our competition right now. So that's kind of the two big waves that we rode. What is the difference between an apprenticeship program and an internship from your perspective? So an internship program is mostly focused on recruiting um, talent that potentially already has the experience. It is a, kind of an experiential module where it's typically only in the summertime that is being changed a little bit. Um, and it's usually right out of college or potentially high school, whereas apprenticeship can kind of be any time of the year. So we can have fall, spring programs. And sometimes it's people who have not entered to go to college and they're actually opting to go directly into an apprenticeship. Sometimes these programs are up to two years long and they're rotational. So you're hopefully getting a skill set afterwards. All apprenticeship programs are paid um, and they are job opportunities. Um, and, and, you, and a lot of um, tax credits and benefits are coming out for apprenticeships uh, right now. You know, I, I've had interns in the past. It typically is grunt work that you're given that person, usually an afterthought. I, I feel bad for that. Uh, you know, in certain cases, it's almost like, go get me coffee type of an attitude um, from a lot of the people. And then there's an internship director that has them doing special projects. But how do you use those internships much more and make them much more powerful than what I have experienced personally? Yes. Well, just before I dive into that answer, um, Jamie, do you mind giving me just a little bit more context? Like where did you work and what kind of roles were those? Uh, I don't want to call out the companies I worked <laughs> for that had but in many cases- My next customers. <laughs> yeah. In many cases, uh, the internships were usually like, who needs an intern? And then uh, we would, or somebody would say yes, because they have a lot of work, but then there's a lot of investment that you need to do to actually give them the work to alleviate some of your um, your pain, and it was a summer intern. Uh, sometimes the um, the juice isn't worth the squeeze um, per se, so you don't want to always give them the work that is needed to to save yourself some time, and it ends up being more of like data entry, simple type of stuff where they have a maybe a director giving them some other projects that are going on. 
And I always feel bad for the interns because there's so much they can learn. Well, I think you kind of nailed it in a lot of ways. We typically don't work with customers that use interns to get work done. If that's their goal and we align on that first as part of like our ideal customer profile, what is your purpose for bringing on interns? Is it recruitment, pipeline development, diversification of your workforce? And then um, usually they're mapping out their recruitment and hiring 12 to 18 months before and they have HR business units. So I will say that our customers that we work with are really Fortune 1000 and above. So we're going after big enterprise opportunities. Um, and I typically share with those types of companies who are you know, getting interns to work for them or trying to get them to work in, in certain ways that um, you know, oftentimes it might be much more affordable for you to go hire a contractor who has that skill set mm-hmm. because an intern is a long-term investment. It's like putting your money in something that you know you'll take out in like, 10 to 20 years. It's not these stocks that are like up and down exciting. I kind of, that's how I think of interns. So I think there's an opportunity to educate those companies like, Hey, this isn't the right path for you. It's not about how do we get more, you know, juice out of that squeeze. It's actually, Hey, maybe that's not the right type of, um, you know, juice go for contractor, other type of workforce to support your needs. Don't think of an intern as a contract help, but think of them as an asset that might be 12 months down the road when you need to hire, you're actually recording them at that point, right? Rather than, oh, I need a stopgap, cheap help, cheap labor. That's not how you should be using interns. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's a, it's a whole um, mind shift. Like, I think it's a big change that we're seeing because I'll say one of our challenges has been um, educating sponsor level um, buyers on why this is so important. We're like trying to share with them, like, you're investing X millions of dollars on these programs and you're using spreadsheets. Some of our customers that have over 10,000 interns were using, I kid you not, spreadsheets to run these programs. And I asked them like, what are you doing? Like, how are you tracking your ROI? And so we have had to spend a lot of time educating before we even get to some of the sales process. Under what conditions are the summer sales internships programs good? And under what conditions are those summer sales in, uh, internships poor? What, what exists on both sides there? I think there's like a myriad of like reasons that they're good and they're bad. I mean, a, a program actually has so many amount of touch points, but the number one thing, if they're good is like, do you have an established process? And I don't even think that goes for just interns. I think that goes for anyone you hire to your workforce. Like, do you have an organized process of what they need to accomplish, what their goals are? And I think for interns, especially an environment that cultivates um, their success and growth. So if they do need resources, because keep in mind, these interns are entering the workforce for the very first time, right? They might be learning things from scratch, whereas sometimes maybe another hire, you expect them to kind of know things before they come in and leverage your previous experience. So in order to make it very successful, you have to have everything documented. It has mm-hmm. to be a process. And you know that uh, amplifies when you're in a remote or hybrid setting. It has to be like 10x more documented and um, supported. So I'd say those are really, really important. Um, And then iterate because what is good for one company sales program might not be good for another. So doing surveys and just getting feedback and then figuring it out each program so you make it better. If, If you're an early stage company and still just figuring things out and you think to yourself, let's hire some interns to help us figure things out. That is that is an awful use of interns, if I'm hearing you correctly. That's correct. I mean, why? Un- unless you know your your team is like I would say, if you're early, early stage, really you shouldn't. But 
if your team um, is using interns as a growth hacking model, because I do know some really big startups that have been able to very successfully use interns and create like ambassador programs. If that's like your consumer type of product that could leverage interns and building an ambassador program, that could be a great use. But then again, usually that's not an early stage startup. I'm talking at least like a like late stage series A to series B should start that conversation. But before you're still figuring out what your product is, your market is, um, and you really need to hire the right people with the right skills. And that's something I keep learning time and time again as a founder. I need to bring on the right people with the right skills because I don't have the resources to get people up to speed. What's an ambassador program? Yes. So Bumble is one example. They went to every campus and they just went like rapid fire and they like gave out a bunch of swag and they built a program with uh, interns and ambassadors, basically young um, college students, giving them goodies and free um, things based off of the number of people they could recruit to the app. So that's kind of one um, kind of concept. Because a lot of um, internship programs are also about employer branding, getting a really good brand around your company. Oh, so you're saying ambassador program more like in a marketing to the college uh, kids, right? No, not kids. Yes, but some companies frame it as an internship. Um, and then Billy Bumble is one that has done that, where they build a really robust program. Um, and they have a lot of um, interns who are part of that as ambassadors. So it's kind of like hand in hand. How do you on not onboard, but you you get you got to get to the college kids, right? Like, do you go on campuses to market yourself, or how? To, like, what schools do you go after? Who you work? Who are you pretty tight with? Um, I'm glad that you asked this, Pete. And typically, when people think of internships, um, they assume that we do recruiting or we are some sort of matchmaking marketplace. Um, but we actually are a fully um, kind of end-to-end system and we sell only to the enterprise, to the talent acquisition leader, and they onboard our platform and they manage everything through um, the system and they bring on their own candidates through their own platforms. That is, I think, why we've been so successful because we're one of the first and we're competing with Excel. Um, the other element that you mentioned about going to university campuses, building that out, that's Handshake, that's Ripple Match, that's, you know, bigger, bigger players that are already in that realm, like um, Untapped, and we partner with those orgs. Um, but we have stayed very, very laser focused, and uh, we're starting off with internships um, and growing from that market. What are some of the recommended things that a company can do, the Fortune 1000, they use your service? And they, they bring on these interns. How do you convert them to uh, full-time employees? So there's a lot of touch points um, through their journey on Simba. So first, um, when they get an offer, typically these offers happen in the fall, but they don't get onboarded until the summertime. And there's this massive gap. And usually they only use email, um, ad hoc email communication on Simba's platform. It can actually live outside of your firewall. So you can send them access to things and have them all in a hub and all get to know each other before the program begins. So that builds community. One big challenge a lot of our customers are having is um, remix. So building, making sure the interns don't say no after they recruited them. But you know, mm-hmm. there's a seven-month gap, 
as an intern or like in college, seven months was like 10 years, you know, lot, lot changes. You could change your whole degree. These companies need a way to stay warm with the, class, the, the interns, make sure they're building community because that's really what this new generation cares about. And then afterwards, um, there's um, pulse surveys, there's feedback collection, there's projects, there's, you know, community board, a whole host of tools that they can leverage um, that, you know, empowers them along the journey and even alumni um, uh, profiles on the platforms. How, how did you make the F- Forbes 30 under 30? How, did, how do you do that? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, what I have no cost. idea how you do it. <laughs> what, yeah, no, what did it cost? You didn't, you didn't <laughs> anything. Um, it's actually a fully a nomination form that um, you, you can have a mentor or somebody that is potentially part of the Forbes community um, nominate you for. And then um, their team reaches out to you to fact check your metrics Um, and, uh, based off of, I know, I mean, when we got it, it was back in 2020, uh, we didn't pay anything, but you know, the world is changing. And I know that sometimes there's a lot of money being attached to things. So I don't, I still think it's a Who nominated you to study curiosity. You you probably have suspicions, right? Yes. So, uh, we have a PR team. Um, well now we have a PR team, but before we didn't actually, the time when we were Forbes 30 under 30, we weren't even paying ourselves anything. And we had, um, just, um, I think this was before we even got in through Techstar. So we hadn't even raised, um, venture capital at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a few different mentors, one being Steve Cadigan, who's, um, the first CHRO at LinkedIn, um, and a few other, uh, different, um, uh, mentors and investors in the space too, who I think were very, very supportive of our application, but, um, I'd say it is a sprinkle of luck. And as two women of color in the enterprise technology list, um, I think there's a little, lot of room for growth uh, on that list too. What's the next step for you guys? Who do you think would buy you guys? I think there's a great opportunity for Workday um, to potentially get excited about what we're building. I think uh, we've hacked a way of getting our users to log in six times a day and mm. love the experience. And Wow. I am, we have been very, very, very simple and easy to use, which I think is very refreshing when it comes to many of our customers who struggle with many of their HRIS, ATS, all these different platforms. So I think that could be an exciting opportunity for us, but uh, we'll see. I think there's a really big opportunity as this market is growing. Like I shared, internships just in the last year grew by 22%. Um, A lot of times investors overlook this market. Um, which the ones who don't, who are our investors, are going to be very, very happy. How is the impending like tech sector layoffs and stuff like that? How is that going to impact internships? So I think that's still um, you know yet to be determined. That's something that we're asking ourselves. But when we look at just the tech spend or just the spend on HR platforms too, we think that that is you know growing. And we're also as far as our go-to market thinking, well maybe we move a little bit away from the tech space. Even though those tech internships have boomed, some of our, our biggest customers are in the biotech space or e-commerce and some, some other spaces. So I think that that could be um, a way that we migrate and kind of um, open up into different market opportunities. How many employees are over there? At uh, Simba, 22. Yeah, 22. And two interns. We have two interns. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, how many interns? Do you eat your own dog food? How many interns? Yeah, yeah. we have two interns um, and we paid our interns before we paid ourselves. So, um, okay, good, good. Duly noted. Do you have anybody responsible for success yet? I know you only have 22, but uh, at your level, like how do you make sure that you say they're logging in six times a day? 
what if they're only logging in two? Who do they, uh, who's going to notice that? We have product and customer success who work really close together. We actually brought on a head of CS, um, Izzy, who's um, brilliant on our team. Like I would say when we were around employee 10, because with enterprise accounts, like you cannot like afford to not have the best like support. They expect the best. And so we learned pretty early on that that's where we actually rather go investing a lot of our resources. Um, and we've been signing three-year contracts. So I think that is definitely paying off. Um, and we really, really care about alignment. So yes, um, CS would care, but product would also care. And for me, whenever I go in for renewals, I pull all that data and have them present it to me. So I go in prepared um, to present because you know we're we're a young team and we're presenting yeah. to and doing enterprise sales opportunities. We get a lot of young companies that listen to us. When did you start saying, "Oh man, we better get somebody on success"? Like, wait a minute, we're getting too many clients, too many too many transactions. Like, when do you when do you say, "All right, we need somebody to do this"? What was it for you? Well, it felt like um, that was our Achilles heel was what we called it. We said like everything else feels really strong. And this, we don't feel like I, we have a pulse on what's happening because for us, it's, you know, the account manager or like the account leader that we work with. And then there's the decision maker who isn't, doesn't really live in the product. And then there's thousands of users on, on top of that, that we have no um, communication with. So I think that was the point when we hit about a thousand users on the platform and we were like, we don't have a pulse or a read anymore. And we said, we got we to gotta change that. So right now we have two amazing leaders supporting our CS um, and automated a lot of workflows. All eyes are on the BLS and, and the reports and the macro trends and stuff like that. How does that impact internships, macro trends and, and you know, like unemployment being down or internships up, or is it pretty much not correlated to the unemployment numbers and things of that nature? That's an amazing question. Because I think in the past, we saw a massive correlation when everyone didn't know what was happening to the market on top of they might have not known how to go remote. They were like, we don't know if we're going to be giving out full-time offers. So it's easier for us just to cut this program. And we have seen a lot of um, teams, you know, when inter- like things get rough, internships might be the first thing to go. But that is changing. Um, you know, I shared that um, internships are up by over 20%. And there's a lot of unique strategic initiatives out there, five-year plans and investment in internship programs, um, and also a lot more hiring that we're seeing. Typically, it was like a team of one to three. Some of our customers have nine leaders who um, interface with our product and manage it now as like intern program managers and leaders. So we're seeing a displacement and in a different perspective, um, because I do think in addition to the great resignation and a lot of changes in the remote culture, there's a bigger push for um, DEI efforts. And the number one pipeline of DEI is internship and early pipeline programs, because mm-hmm. you can open access um, and diversify the opportunities very, very early on. And it's mm-hmm. also the strongest retention tool they have for um, diverse employees in their workforce. So I think that's um, another major factor putting a lot of dollars because now we're having a chief diversity officer. That wasn't a thing before. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot more spend. There's actually a budget we can pull from because um, I'll tell you, there was not a line item for an internship management software before. So when I create these proposals, I get very creative. I ask, where can we pull budget from? Which yeah. teams have more funding? We, what I experienced selling to HR 
with companies like General Motors was that they would all talk about how data-driven they are and motivated they are by the metrics and all that kind of stuff. But when it ultimately came down to it, they didn't have it, they didn't value it, they didn't do it. And so retention rates with these customers was awful because they would say, we're data-driven. And then we would get down the line and into an engagement and we would say, so how does this metric look? And they're like, well, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like it's not working and, and or it feels like it's working one way or the other, and yet they weren't. And so <clears throat> my question to you is, you're selling to these same you know, Fortune 1000 type of you know, HR leaders. What are the metrics for success? And what are the challenges that you see with these, these HR leaders that are typically not data-driven, but say that they are? So um, I resonate with you so much when you're saying these things. I feel like that has been one of the bigger challenges. But being in this space for now four years, we are seeing some major shifts because this is not um, just an HR issue anymore. We're seeing a lot of um, investment from the entire leadership team getting involved here. It's not just the CHRO now, the CEO. And I even think it's becoming an IT issue. Um, I think that there's an opportunity for us to even play into that budget, um, especially mm. with contingent workforce and the evolution beyond internships being in that space. Um, but ultimately, I think it's cost per hire is one thing that they look at, um, long-term retention, so how many years they've stayed. Um, and then um, it's really important in, for the comp companies to understand how expensive in, um, hires are for them at different stages of their company, right? Mm -hmm. If they're recruiting a senior level manager versus an intern, and how long does that intern need to stay at that organization in order to become that level um, for them? So um, a lot of our customers um, didn't know that info before. And so this is really a forecasting tool for workforce planning and understanding what you need to do today to be ready tomorrow. Um, I think conversion rates are really much top of mind, um, engagement, touch points, um, a lot of the you know, career mapping and um, also internal forecasting of um, kind of the org needs. Um, do you have a really top heavy org? that you know, in 10 years, you're gonna be in trouble? Um, or do you need to start diversifying now? Um, or you know, what are those trends internally that you need to be monitoring? And that now not only falls on the CHRO, it also falls on the CEO, right? Having the right team in the right place is my role as a CEO at Simba. It mm -hmm. is also the role of um, CEOs at big, big firms. So I think they're starting to wake up to this because it's not just the CHRO issue, it's a company issue. When I entered the workforce, I'm dating myself, all I heard the entire time was the longer you're at a company, the more loyalty you show, the more advantageous you are to be hired. The reality, I think, in today's world is the longer you're at a company, um, it looks like you've become complacent and uh, you're satisfied and you're not pushing yourself, which is not always true, but that's sort of the mentality. So internships today, they come in, how long do you think is successful in that comp in that client's mm -hmm. minds to say tenure of the company is a good tenure and healthy for both the company and for the employee? So um, SAP did some research on this and it's about 18 months, um, depending on you know the type of role, but on average, about 18 months that the intern needs to stay at the org in order to make up the cost of investment because it's not only you know, if the interns um, recruiting, the 
relocation, um, the time of the manager, hiring manager who worked with them, um, and all of the onboarding and everything after. Um, so that's about 18 months. Uh, but I think, Jamie, you bring up a really important point because sometimes I think about it two ways, especially when it, you know this whole symbiotic notion is it, is it that we should get people to stay with us longer? Or is it that we should be able to ramp up so quickly that people can freely choose to leave and come back when they want? Um, and so please, that it's not that much of a cost to us. And I don't think that we've been able to achieve that ability to ramp people up quickly enough for us to be okay with the market being this flexible. But I mean, our generation that I could speak for myself, like, um, you know, millennials and even Gen Z, like we want to grow because every time we move, um, we get a pay raise and we grow mm -hmm. our entire network with a whole other group. I think that is the biggest pain point. I, I look at this as companies today, when they hire somebody on, a lot of times when you get to be a certain size, they say, we're only going to cap raises to 10%. And yet that employee might be undervalued in the marketplace. And a lot of companies aren't making the market adjustments because they're trying to save money on their current employees while spending more money on new employees. And I always find that baffling because you've made this huge investment on your current employees. Why don't you make sure you keep your current employees by making the market rate at all times, if not more for the more valuable ones? Yet in many cases, a lot of companies say, hey, we've got a 10% raise uh, cap um, once you get up to the certain levels of a corporation. And therefore, you let a lot of people leave because exactly what you just said. A lot of people in our generation want to jump ship because they get the big raises. Yeah. I always find that fascinating. How do you think companies, are you working with companies on trying to change that mind, sh mind shift? Or is that so far foreign that it's just people are just going to assume people are leaving in 18 months? That's crazy. Well, not that they're leaving in 18 months. So if I understood your question correctly, it was how long do they need to stay there in order for mm -hmm. it to make sense? Yeah. So 18 months is like that stage. After that, anything else is like they're winning and gaining more and more value, especially for the roles that are more in like the engineering and the tech side of things, because visas have become very challenging and other aspects, um, you know, but to really get back to, to your point about changing the salary and uh, the world of HR is massive. And as much as I want to save the whole world, I have to focus on what I can do today um, and what I can do to move the needle. And so that really is, you know, for me, number one, making sure that employers are investing the resources they need to scale and build successful infrastructures for pipeline programs. I think in the future, as they grow and become more of a thought leader in this space. And, you know, Pete shared, I'm part of the Forbes HR council. These are things I'm really passionate about, but I have kind of stayed kind of laser focused and being very, very focused on what I, what is my approach and what I can do within an org just so that I can continue to move the needle. Ava, you got 20 something employees uh, and you said you have investors too, right? Yes. Okay. To, is it like an advice? Do you have an advisory board too? Like you've been doing this for four years, so I'm sure you have to re report to somebody. Um, am I right so far? Because yes, yes. okay, okay, got it. Okay, so uh, you, you know you're working with people. You have an advisory board because you're going places that you haven't seen before. You need you need a Sherpa and a guidance and whatnot. What are, to get to the next level? The next level of growth where 
are you looking at you're going to need you know an HR person or chief diversity officer? Because I I heard that is that is that the same thing as a chief people officer? What you say, so, KG? Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about Simba growing. This is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, she's at twenty something because yeah. you know once she gets fifty and a hundred employees, you know. Right now, you guys are a rah-rah culture, and as you get bigger, you know, Ava's and her, and her, and her partners help build this thing, but as you add more people in scale, yeah. when they say, when the investors say, okay, we'll give you more money to grow, you got to hold on to that culture, and part of that is, you know, you need the HR person, you're going to need a legal person. What are you looking at to next for your next level of growth? Oh, great questions, and... Um... I still feel like we're a little far off from like an HR, especially a diversity person. These are like probably Fortune 1000 companies that we're seeing a chief diversity officer um, at. But for us, uh, we do have amazing advisors that I do consult with on some of these issues that we're talking about that don't necessarily need to sit on the team, but can still give us that support that we need. I think as far as taking Simba to the next level, it is actually bringing on two things. Um, sales leaders who have HR experience and background um, and uh, are a little more senior, a lot more senior than me. (laughs) And then um, PMs who also have experience um, with tools like Workday, like Greenhouse, um, that can also really help us understand where to next beyond this scope. Because internships have been such a powerful way to enter this market where everything is saturated and they're bombarded with emails internship program leaders are eager and ready and excited to see a new innovation in the space. Now that where our foot is in the door, we've signed multi-year contracts. How do we creep into other segments? And I think that is both a sales and a product um, kind of investment on our front. So would you get a H would you get ahead of HR person first or would you get ahead of salesperson first? Head of sales. <laughs> Yeah, and, revenue, man, revenue. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. But then when is that fancy? Okay, you get a salesperson, but when do you get that fancy title they turn in chief revenue officer? Are, are you looking at that, Ava, or do you already have one? Well, I feel like there's um, a role that I play as a CEO, as chief revenue officer until I get there. Like, yeah. I should be able to have such a strong grasp on it before bringing on somebody else. Um, otherwise we're not doing it right. Um, so I think that's kind of my approach, but I think we really need to double down on sales, especially with like everybody, like, I mean, we don't know what the market's going to look like. So I really want to sign three-year contracts as much as possible. And then, um, you know, the other things, not that they, they follow or that they're an afterthought, but, you know, I think that if you do a really good job at recruiting, you know, in, in the front end, if you make your process rigorous, if you have a culture check and a, um, you, you know, you do really great references and you pull from the right people, then I don't think you have to do a band-aid solution afterwards about hiring an HR person. Cause at that point it's too late. So that's kind of my perspective on it. I love your focus, Ava, you know, you're like fortune 1000 and, and while there may be a fortune, you know, 5,000 company out there, you know, for you, you got limited resources and you can't boil the ocean. And like you said, you know, you want to save the world, but you, you got to like, you know, focus on the things that you can change today. And, and I, I, I love that focus. Um, I also love the fact that you are taking responsibility as the CEO for not abdicating that sales process. 
a lot of founders like yourself make that mistake. And it's one of the things I coach my CEOs on all the time. You better go sell this thing yourself. And then you better build the process yourself. And then you bring on a head of sales that can that, that you've delegated a process to that you know what's going on. Otherwise, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get the sales leader that you hire that's going to wave their hands and say a bunch of things and it's going to sound fantastic and it's going to fail because you won't know what's going on. So I, I applaud you for, for recognizing that you've got to be that chief sales officer or chief revenue officer. Um, and I would actually even say to you, you know, yep, how many salespeople do you have right now, by the way? We only have two. So yeah. we're very lean. Yeah. You don't need that level. You maybe get a director that's gotten filthy dirty in human resources previously and, and, and selling ATS or, or what have you that, that has been like part of a startup that knows what that's like. For God's sakes, don't go hire somebody from Workday that, that like worked in a big company, work, work with somebody that's gritty, that maybe, you know, that's sold to Fortune 1000s at a startup that knows how filthy it is. So do you want to tell us about some of the insights that you're capturing on your platform that really entices people to come back six times a day in your previous conversations? Absolutely. So for um, managers and um, talent leaders, it's our dashboards and the insights that they can absolutely capture. They can download these and share them with their leadership in real time. Ultimately, what we say is that we're making heroes at Simba and sharing with the entire company and the CEO what the power of these pipeline programs are. So it's not this CSR strategy. Really, you have dashboards and insights on who's converting and why and um, how the program is very, very successful. So I think that's ultimately a game changer in the whole HR space is like, how do we really capture data and make decisions off of that and invest more in the things that are working and uh, you know pull those levers? So that's something we're really excited about. We're working on integrations with Workday and a few other tools that our customers are using so that it can really capture everything all in one place. Here's a PSA. Companies out there that are not using data and not anecdotal data, but actual data to make decisions, you're not going to be uh, around 10 years from now, maybe even five years from now, maybe even yeah. two years. If you're not doing it, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> But I've been at companies where they use anecdotal data to make all the decisions. And guess what? They fail miserably. Ava Sadehi, what's the best way for a company to learn more about you and get a, a demo? They can check us out at Simba.io, which is S-Y-M-B-A dot I-O. And right there, they can easily schedule a demo. And our team would be super excited to share what we can do with them. Okay, fantastic. We'll have everything in the podcast notes. Again, Ava, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. This was fun. On behalf of Jamie, Justin, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Each new subscriber is like a magic one that turns three viewers into 3,000. Hey, we got a Chicago guy, software, could be gal too, I don't know. Software developer manager, 10 years experience, C plus, MS, SQL, Angular, React, Azure, Cloud, ASP.NET, .NET Core, Node, Angular web development, email Pete at sassholes.net. Who knows, maybe Simba needs one of them people. And... Again, thank you for our Patreon supporters for supporting our content. It's a real ego boost with the 
demand farm org chart. You can transform contact lists to rich visual maps instantly. Empowered with deal-specific role decks at your fingertips. You have a focus view on your buying group, their roles, dynamic stances, and relationship owners for effective deal advancement. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Ironman. Winalytics.com. Build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation. Not free trial. 60 Minutes Growth Consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say KG sent you. We'd also like to thank Aaron J. and Trenas for the support. It's a real ego boost. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, but KG will accept four and a half. Subscribe to our newsletter in the podcast notes. And again, you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We thank you for listening. Cue the non-copyrighted music. (laughs) 